Eric Wood. And I'm Justin DeClue. And you're listening to the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast. Where we talk about very fine comic books. And this week, it's News Strip November, where we talk about basically news strip comic books. Things that are not, we've tackled manga, but we mostly also talk about kind of like the American, you know, multiple pages, tell one story. How much more difficult is to do it in usually three to four panels? Mm-hmm. Difficult. It can be very difficult. Uh, one that we're talking about today could have been in a new strip, I feel, but it's uh, known as a webcomic. It's Blind Alley by Adam D'Souza. And we've talked about webcomics previously in this uh, series. Yep. And uh, I mean, I think when a lot of people hear the word webcomic, they picture like a late 90s, early 2000s style. Nah, kind yeah, of thing. I, cer- I certainly do yes. when someone brings Control, it up. Control, alt, delete. It had its like moment in the sun of like a very particular kind of There's humor. There's an angry robot character of some kind. Usually hasn't aged very well, but... Um, so when Justin mentioned this one, it was completely new to me. And again, I thought, okay, modern webcomic? Let's see how it is. It, and it's uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, very it's much so like creative peanuts, and wholesome and gentle. dark and interesting and mm-hmm. light. And wow. Well, we'll get to it. But before yeah. we get to that, we talk about what we've been reading. What are you reading, Mike? Uh, so I recently read something that really has nothing to do with <laughs> News Strip November. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think we have well, to stick to the News really Strip uh, theme for yeah. the, what we've been reading. Um, but we were talking about The Riddler recently after Tom King's uh, amazing one-shot, mm-hmm. the One Bad Day one, and, uh, and a Mark Russell uh, <laughs> yeah. thing. And I asked you, like, what happened to the other One Bad Days? And, and you're like, like, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't, I don't remember. Know. Read them all. I Does don't, it I don't end remember. with Batman just <laughs> killing the villain every time? <laughs> or how many one-shots were there? Were there eight of them? I think it would be yeah. Batman's like, well, that sure was eight bad days. <laughs> yep. <laughs> One for each of them, eight for me. I don't know. But uh, there was a Riddler miniseries that just wrapped up called Year One, written by Paul Dano, who played the Riddler in the new Batman movie. What did you think of the new Batman movie? I liked it a lot. And I was surprised. I went to see it only because a friend who I don't see very often, he lives out of town, he's going to be in town that weekend. And he was like, I could do like a noonish matinee of the Batman. You Mm. want to go? And I was like, sure. Mm. I mostly just wanted to hang out with my friend. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I had zero interest in it. The trailers didn't speak to me. I don't even remember who the director is. Like, what else did he do? Uh, Matt Reeves? Matt, Matt Reeves. Yeah, what's He's he known part for? of the J.J. Abrams kind of team. He directed Cloverfield. Oh, He really? directed okay. the remake of Let the Right One In. I think huh. it's called Let Me In. He also did the two uh, Planet of the Apes films after the first one. Oh, I never saw the sequels. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, the sequels are very good. Oh, I should see them now yeah, that they announced the fourth uh, one. I was excited for his Batman okay. movie. I liked most of it. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything I actively disliked, but I also yeah. can't think of anything I absolutely loved. I thought it was too long. Like, yeah. And I remember when they were doing the press earlier on, they were like, we're going to find you know, an angle that no other Batman live action media has taken before. And I was like, I don't know if you found it. Because originally yeah. it sounded like what he wanted to do was like a detective movie mm-hmm. which none of them have really done because of Nolan movies have kind of kind of pushed up against you're that. right I hear that that w- they talked about that up front and I don't think the movie really did it no it doesn't do yeah that. there's no real detecting and I much. think uh, that it doesn't really reach the conclusion that yeah. it seems to be pushing towards which is like you know uh, systematically you can't really fix anything even mm-hmm. as an individual breaking like it needs to be kind of you need to look bigger than that yeah uh, because at the end it's like all cops are bad except for these cops these ones are good and it's like <laughs> oh, okay i guess yeah the finale left me flat that whole flooding of the arena i thought was really boring. yeah i think the uh, last 20 minutes of the movies feel like forced reshoots they feel like they're from a different movie it, that's a good point it yeah feel where like, like that, batman yeah. is fighting on a green screen against a bunch of goons yeah. and things like that yeah i, I thought pattinson was great yeah as like his interest take on Bruce is different yes uh, but I thought Mopey he was great Bruce. as Batman uh, loved Colin Farrell as the Penguin oh lo- I mean number one yeah. why don't you cast Richard Kind he's right there <laughs> Colin was Farrell amazing. is just doing a Richard Kind impersonation ever since that meme that I think uh, Keenan was the first one to post that comparison yeah uh, I falsely remembered for months that it was Richard Kind that I saw do you movie. love the Penguin enough to watch the HBO Max miniseries starring Colin Farrell playing that character I, I would I wow. like Colin Farrell a lot I'm a, I'm a huge Colin Farrell stan and um, but the yeah, other thi- was, go ahead and one of the other things is just that I don't like superhero movies of established characters where we have to get them to the point where they're that character. Yeah. I find that like every movie does that. I find it very frustrating. Mm-hmm. I think it's more interesting to work within the confines of how do you tell an interesting story about this character instead of like, oh, now he's the Batman everybody loves. Like, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I was hoping I wasn't going to do that, but it does a lot of interesting. I love the kind of like buildup in that movie of 
you have Batman fighting his way into this club over and over again, but then when he shows up as a rich white guy, he just walks right in. That was like, great. Like, that's so good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just going to visit the Falcones, yeah. and uh, I thought it was great to see John Turturro in that cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Paul Dana as an actor, yes. and even though I didn't like that take on the Riddler. Yeah, he's just a dumb guy. I liked the like, backstory of yeah. why he was doing it. I thought that was the biggest twist for me was the fact that the Riddler was reaching out to Batman and wanted to work with him. And, 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 yeah, in that and movie, it had like a, the idea of like a parasocial relationship. Yes, like, I like that a lot. Yeah. And I kind of do like he's a dumb guy because we've lived through like 15 years, even the Batman movies of like people, villains playing four dimensional chess and being like, I knew exactly what you were going to do. Yeah. And you know, they he, he's kind of based on the Zodiac and the reality of Zodiac is he was a dumb guy as well. Exactly. Like, his yeah. ciphers didn't work because he didn't figure them out correctly. Right. That's right. why nobody could solve them. Yes, yes. But anyway, so Paul Dano, you mentioned, wrote a Batman comic. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's just called the Riddler Year One, and it's it's like the year version. One. I know. No. You know what? I, well, DC trademarked that term. Oh, did they? Yeah. So I think they have to call something Year One every five years. So mm. every now and then they'll churn out something, and it's just it's a Riddler origin story. It's yet another one. We've seen multiple versions of that, but it is specifically not necessarily the one we see in the Batman movie. But it's, it's Paul Dano's Riddler. So wait, in this one, does the Riddler invent a machine that makes your brain big? He does not. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. That's not my Riddler. <laughs> uh, and but it does get into what you were saying where he's not actually that smart a guy mm-hmm. like he's just really like sort of meek and self-loathing and he works some like junior clerk position at some accountancy place and uh, realizes that his boss is corrupt and he just sort of uncovers some little bit of like oh there's a few thousand dollars missing let me follow this trail mm-hmm. so it's essentially like a paperwork procedural mm-hmm. which is not the take I would expect from a Riddler anything yeah of him sort of realizing oh people are corrupt yeah oh wow they are of course they are everywhere and um and it's set around the time that yes batman is starting out and you see that he really wants to get the word to batman but knows batman won't do anything about this and there's not really that much i can say that sounds like a story hook even though uh, it was fun to see like a different take on that character in comic and i preferred the paul dano version in this comic than I did in the, in movie. the movie yeah because he is more he hasn't become like the leather masked like doing YouTube videos mm-hmm. or whatever it is it is just him as a behind the scenes like just schlub who nobody will recognize or remember trying to like figure out what his boss is up to and like get the word out via various means uh, and but the art is absolutely phenomenal an artist I've never heard of named uh, Stevan uh, Subich whose style really reminds me of Dave McKean the guy who did Arkham Asylum mm-hmm. Uh, and all those Sandman covers. Yeah, and uh, phenomenal Wait, artist. did he do those Sandman covers? Uh, he did several yeah. of those, yeah, okay. yeah. You're recommending say, it for the art. I'm recommending for the art. I mean, I thought the story's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if Paul Dano is going to be like, what's next for me, DC? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or anything, but I... Uh, kind of like, oh, the... Uh, is the star of Miss Marvel is writing a Miss Marvel comic and you're like please don't make her do that yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so I mean it was interesting to read like one of the very few things that has the Riddler's name on it and is from his point of view but uh, I'm very eager to see what this artist does next because it seems like one of those things where like if he grows in recognition I, I can't see them sticking him on like movie tie-in miniseries anymore mm-hmm. like this he seems like someone who's move up to the next level. destined for like you know like a Sandman-esque yeah. uh, property at some point so for me I picked up a recent comic because I check the beguiling every week and see what new books are coming in specifically the books mm-hmm. single issues the lists are so long like I can't read those that I go to the store and I just look and be like hey there's something interesting there but uh, Fantagraphics Underground what is the difference between Fantagraphics Fantagraphics Underground? No idea. But Underground seems to be publishing more these days than the normal Fantagraphics. Okay. And they recently did a collection of uh, artists that we talked about, I think, two episodes ago. John Severin. Oh, wow. The cracked artist. He did a Trios of Horror uh, episode. Oh, do you remember which one? Yep. It was the one that was a World War II story. Remember when we were talking about, it's the one where Bart and Lisa go to like the theme park and they go into oh, like, yeah, different... the different stories in there. Yes, yep. yes, yes. And he did that World War II story because he's mostly famous for doing the Marvel uh, Sergeant Rock and his Howling Commandos. Is that, that was... Marvel? That's DC. Oh, he's mixed those up. That's DC. Yeah. 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 Uh, what is the Marvel version of that? Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. Yeah, Nick Fury yeah, and his Howling yeah. Commandos. Or maybe he did do Sergeant Rock. I'm not sure. Well, he was mostly known as a kind of journeyman, 
John Severin, but a very, very good one. Uh, Jack Kirby once said that if he wanted any kind of historical accuracy when it came to costumes or props, he'd just look at John Severin art because he knew that Severin did so much research mm. that it's basically like looking at a textbook. Oh, that's great. And I love that. Severin is probably most famous for for defining the style of Cracked Magazine. Wow. That he's one of the main illustrators on that original run when it mm-hmm. would come out. He worked in his 80s. But anyway, this collection is the John Severin Westerns, principally featuring American Eagle, who is a uh, Native American a hero that appeared in a bunch of Western comics. Now, what's fascinating about these comics, speaking of you read it for the art, mm-hmm. a lot of these, if you look at the index, they don't even know who wrote these comics. Oh, wow. It just says question mark. Yeah. Well, it's because like we were talking about in the uh, the Gold Key and Dell comics yeah. episode. They wouldn't credit them. There were no credits. So, so unless someone does detective work, they're not going to find out. This is a massive collection of uh, comics, mostly American Eagle, like I said, but also there's like a weird Batman Western ripoff called, I think, Black Bull, where he's just Batman. He even has, like, a butler and everything, but it's it's in the Western time. And so, like, if you want to get into Western comics, I don't know if this is what I would recommend. I always see these kind of hardcover books, like, littering stores, especially used stores, Mm. and I never know which ones are the good ones or which are the ones that are just put out because the rights have lapsed or no one knows who owns the rights, so they just make copies of them and put them out. But because it was an artist that I really wanted to explore more of his work... And it was fantagraphic, so I know I'm probably getting like the best version that you can get of this kind of art. Yeah, this is gorgeous reproduction, gorgeous yeah, page I stock. Picked it up, and I'm very excited to read through it because I love Western stuff, and especially if it's a Native American hero, more the merrier. So when you first mentioned American Eagle, who's also featuring prominently in the cover here, I thought it was the Marvel character of no. the same name. Severin's character was created in 1951, and the Marvel one who. I assumed would be an old timely or Atlas era mm. Western character didn't appear till 1981 created by Doug Mensch. Uh, John Severin, huh. very interestingly, like I mentioned, he worked for a long time and one of his uh, most famous later period work, do you remember the controversial Rawhide Kid reboot that no. was part of the Max line? Wow, no I don't. So Max was a Marvel line where it's like, hey, finally the Punisher can kill people and you can see the <laughs> gore. Oh man, he shot Wolverine in the dick with a shotgun. But the Rawhide Kid uh, reboot, Rawhide Kid was a classic kind of like, uh, probably Atlas era Marvel hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, there's a cowboy, pretty generic. Uh, I think he was a two-gun kid. He used like two guns. That was a different character named the two-gun the kid. Two gun, you sure? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I know only know because Dan Slott used him in his She-Hulk run. But Rawhide in the Max series, mm-hmm. which was not violent, didn't have any swearing, the big controversial thing is he was gay. That was like the, what the comic was. It was just a, a Western adventure where the main hero was gay. That was it. <laughs> so did like, uh, what, Texas uh, rise up against this comic book? Well, people like, were How dare like, you? there was actually kind of a two-pronged, okay. uh, you know, kind of distaste against it. Number one, people like, oh, how dare you take Rawhide gay? He he never showed that in the original comics. It's like, it's, all right, who cares? Yeah. Number two was people was like, he's kind of a bit of a caricature of a gay man. Like he's gossipy. He's kind of, but he's very polite and he's heroic okay. and uh i've read some more recent reviews and they're like yes I, you can understand why you know looking for representation would find this ah, that's not the representation i want but now reading back like it's just a good comic and john severin is like firing on all barrels like it's still his style but modernized enough that it doesn't feel kind of like oh it's an old timer wow dude. so severin was still drawing up through the uh when did that come out well this was just uh, a one shot like, oh, or like okay. a mini series uh, uh but in like the early 2000s or so yep, early 2000s wow. i mean that's when the uh simpson comic probably came out like late 90s Actually, early yeah, 2000s yeah. so you so would have been still but yep, quite john around. severin westerns featuring american eagle funny enough i only learned of who john severin was when it was on a talking simpsons podcast he got brought up for some reason and they they were like, oh, he's a crack guy. And I was like, ooh, I want to look more into him. Okay. And when I was looking at the uh, solici- solicitations, I was like, ooh, what's this? Yeah, Fantagraph Underground publishes so much weird so, stuff. Yeah, here's their ethos here. Fantagraphics Underground is our small run imprint for oh. rarefied readership. So that means this is going to be a very limited edition book. Yes, and so it'll probably go for $200 Yeah, uh, so afterwards. good thing you got it now. Yeah. And so like they've done a lot of really fun stuff, uh, but they're all over the place as well. And that they, they don't really seem to have like a very specific mandate. Like they'll do new stuff. They'll do old stuff. I really got into them because they were doing a lot of translations of like Filipino uh, art and stuff like that. I got that one, like one uh, 800 ghosts. Scroll up a little bit. I got the one, one 
1-800-GHOST. Oh, wow. And that one is interesting because it's a giant oversized, like it's this big. Oh, I love those. Anytime there's a Fantagraphics Underground thing, I'm like, ooh, interesting. Just looking at the Fantagraphics Underground collection here, it's the same problem I have reading Vinegar Syndrome's website. Everything looks, looks and really sounds good. Yeah. I want every single one of these books. Uh, so the guy who runs uh, Fantagraphics, Gary Groth, a very uh, outspoken man in a comics journal, which he also edited. And I don't know what his position is right now, but it's really funny that he was like very anti like oh consumerism selling out and all that stuff and now he's like you can get the uncle scrooge collection at walmart and it's like oh it's the classic simpsons joke where it's like but you do that all the time but when i do it it's cute <laughs> I, I don't begrudge fantagraphics d- doing any of that uh, really and i mean like getting the them, stuff out to a wider audience yeah to publish <laughs> yeah. uh the john severin westerns yeah go for it please do uh fantagraphics are awesome if they want to send us anything to oh, review and talk about i would it, love to buy any uh, please buy. please do I already do. Just send it to me, though. Yeah. Maybe there's stuff I won't you buy. You jinxed it. You just said you're no. willing to buy any of it. So no. why would they send it for free? But please, if if Fantagraphics has review copies, we yeah love underground. You. If you want to get us the yeah. word out there, it could be our what we've been reading, or even mm-hmm. the main central thing of an episode. For sure. So this week we are talking news strips and I want to go back. Okay. So probably news strips is when people get into comics, right? Because I remember, I love that news strip column in comic books. For me, the comic books came first because we weren't really? like a newspaper getting family. Yeah. Your, your but... parents were like, false news. <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't get it from the newspapers. No, no. I think you were just like, eh, well, why get a newspaper? Really? So oh, you didn't yeah. have like, you didn't fall in love with like Garfield and stuff like that? No, no. I mean... <laughs> A bit later on. Okay. Let's say, I think we started getting the Toronto Star around when I was uh, seven years old. Mm. By this point, it already... And you're like, where's the, the, the star lady in this newspaper? <laughs> what? Is that a mascot? No, or? it's a Toronto Sun thing. Remember, there's like a woman in a bikini in oh, every issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, that's the sun. It's so not well, on my Well, it's a tabloid. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hilariously, though... At least as far as Toronto is concerned, I think, did the Globe and Mail even have comic strips? I don't think they did. Oh, they didn't? Well, I, I, I didn't, can't I, remember. I, I didn't grow up in Toronto, so okay. I would get the Ottawa Citizen, which so is where I would get all my comics. The Toronto too. Sun is a rag, mm. but they had... Um, Oh, God. I'm trying to think All of which ones were in which. Family Circus. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Which. Yeah. But I remember like some of the A-listers, like perhaps Garfield, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, Foxtrot, which I really like to. Now, the, the Calvin and Hobbes, did that last in uh, syndication for a long time? Because it didn't last that long as a comic strip, did it? Yeah, the comic strip was from maybe like 89 to 96 or so. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that long a period, but that would have been when you would have been reading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And... Um, so, yeah, we would get the Toronto Star eventually, uh, at least on Saturdays, because that was like the big chonky one yeah. where you get the TV guy. That's when you get the color comics. And then you get the color comics. Yeah. Yeah, and the comic section was its own whole section. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. And I think we talked in a previous episode about how, and I did the same thing, where you would like cut out certain ones and make and your make own, books own books of them. Yes, I would. Um, I would do that with web comics online, too. Like of you'd like, print them out? I'd print and then... them out, yeah, and I have my own book <laughs> of them. Amazing. For no one. I'm not giving it to someone. It's just for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I, did, I just didn't have access unless you want to dial up. <laughs> <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And I remember my grandfather used to get the sun at his uh, his restaurant. He, I think he got all the papers there. And yeah. I'd ask him to like tear out the back page where the paper, the comics were. So uh, would you go to like, would there be like, this is the one that I love and I want to read first. And usually on the way down are where the stinkiest ones are. Yeah. I remember the Toronto Star used to put like peanuts up top because peanuts was still new up through. I mean, Charles Schultz wasn't doing it, but I was still never new a peanuts reader. I was a huge peanuts Even fan. as a kid, yeah. I'm like, I don't get this. It's not funny. Well, by that point, when... Uh, there was like new like late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. peanuts still being made by whatever I guess ghost writers or ghost yeah. artists it was very very weird yes you'd have like uh, like Snoopy's cousin Spike in the desert talking to a cactus for like three weeks straight wasn't that stuff Charles like that. Schultz doing that stuff I no. think he was he might have still been yeah. doing that stuff I'm not privy I'm not like a Schultz historian by any means but like I've read almost the entirety of Peanuts that has existed because those were super ubiquitous as well in libraries and everywhere. Like, uh, didn't Fantagraphs publish those or the, the Drawn and Quarterly? Uh, I can't remember which publisher, but there's those new versions where Seth does Seth the, the cover, uh, the cover yeah. art. And um, God, I'd love to have him on here something to talk about Peanuts if we ever do Peanuts. <laughs> I don't think we'll be getting Seth anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, oh, wait, what? The small little Toronto-based com- comic book podcast? Yeah, yes, yeah. sure. And then he's like, what are you guys talking about? Spider-Man. Ugh, losers. <laughs> I love Seth. I've chatted with him several times. He's a love wonderful him wonderful fellow and um, so you would read peanuts and then maybe I, as a kid 
I love Garfield. Yeah, I love Garfield. Uh, I loved Farside. Farside that was, was one of my favorites. Uh, we, I loved Herman as well, which you brought up. <laughs> we in talked about one. it. Because yeah. my dad had some Herman books, probably just laying around. I don't know why he had them. Mm-hmm. They felt so adult, There's, and they smelled yeah. gross. Like They smelled like cigarettes, too, which is kind of like what I associate oh. with those <laughs> okay. books. I just remember Herman being really surreal. Yes, but the yeah. characters in that are also horrifying. Yeah, looking. they're weird, squiggly, like yeah. weird, like melty humans. Nose, yeah, like very pear-shaped. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other comics. Like, I never read Bloom Country County that was around around that. Is that, is that, the, that one with Dagwood? Yeah, that's Dagwood. The yeah, cat. Yeah, right? I don't know where. Wasn't Dagwood the human? Oh, Love was Sanchez? Dagwood the human? No. Yeah, because there's a sand- there's a sandwich named after him. Yes, 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 yes. No, that's Bloom Blondie. County is the uh, the um, Opus, the uh, Penguin. Yes, but yeah, there's Blondie. a cat, isn't there? Yeah, and uh, Bill the Cat. Blondie is what I was thinking. With yeah, Dagwood. you were thinking of Blondie, Dagwood yeah, yeah, the yeah. Sandwich. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that, I, I would I would skip by. Oh wait, Hagar the Horrible, uh, Wizard of Oh what? the Wizard of It. I forgot this existed. <laughs> Terrible. BC, I remember. Ugh, awful. Have you no, watched the uh, still in syndication? They, you know? they must be. There was a BC Thanksgiving special and a Christmas. <laughs> I special. did see that. Yes. Yeah. And um, so like I would read all these comics. I think only Garfield was the one that I really loved. The only ones, yeah, I bought. Like my own collections of incessantly mm. at those like scholastic fairs were yeah I got a lot of which Garfield. is so funny because like one Garfield's more than enough it's more than enough <laughs> yeah. but they would also make like uh, color Garfield books of the um, like the TV special they take the TV specials and turn those oh, into serialized really? books too oh wow uh, so it just stills from the TV show no no it was completely drawn anew oh wow uh, by Jim Davis or the Jim Davis house style company yes yes but turning it into like a panel style progression and jokes as well mm-hmm. so it was actually a pretty clever way of like adapting a show but I think that like the newspaper strips I read them obsessively as well because it was a way for me to read comics mm-hmm. like i didn't have access any other way to read comics so it's like i'll get new comics and it's like these are bad yeah what are the family circus family circus sucks so much it sucks and it still exists you've seen the dysfunctional family circus no and where people just add a new caption because the caption was always underneath the circle have you seen the comic oh i don't remember the guy he does podcast a ride we did a family circus run where he inserts himself into family <laughs> no and so it starts with him just off panel being like you're a dumbass or something like that but then he starts a relationship with the mother from family circus <laughs> uh i'm gonna search it's called scott meets the family circus you can find it on tumblr okay uh it's by scott gardner and it's very, very funny. He, yeah, he'll add extra panels to the comics. <laughs> I'm looking at them now. I didn't, um, I didn't think that he would be drawing himself in the style of Family Circus as well. This is great. Yeah, so it'll take a punchline yeah. of like a Family Circus because, um, you know, if people don't know what Family Circus is, it's a round circle. It's, <laughs> uh, and then it's just like one little joke underneath. And yeah, the comic that Tumblr is very funny because it evolves into him having a relationship with uh, the mother from Family Circus and cheating on uh, the husband. And getting big like Mr. Boop flashbacks. Yeah, that. that's pretty much what it is. Um, yeah, Family Circus is probably the most mockable newspaper comic strip of all time. Or, or, or yeah, the dog. He's big. <laughs> Wait, which dog? Marmaduke. Oh, he's big. Forgot Marmaduke existed. That's the ongoing joke. Look, he's big. He's knocking things over. That's it. That's the I only joke in the I don't think I've ever read a Marmaduke panel other than seeing it mocked in line. Where? You've yeah. seen it. In, it was a newspaper strip. It wasn't in ours here. Oh, it wasn't? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's fun. That, but that brings up like an interesting point about newspaper strips. Like everyone's nostalgia for them is based on what your local newspaper published. I mean, I have no nostalgia for Marmaduke. And we were, Let like, me be a, clear. we were like a three newspaper town. Mm-hmm. and But a lot of other smaller towns that maybe had like a smaller section. Maybe you get like, what, eight or ten of them, whatever the newspaper could afford to license mm-hmm. from uh, King Feature I Syndicate, mean, was it? Yeah, King Feature Syndicate. In my uh, French kind of right-wingish paper Le Droit that we'd get at my house mm-hmm. they had serialized like the phantom newspaper strips oh wow and I'd be like I'm gonna try to follow I can't follow this <laughs> like where each panel is summing up what happened previously mm-hmm. the second panel is something new the third panel is a cliffhanger that will then lead into next uh, week's well, like we've joked about with the Amazing Spider-Man yeah. comic which uh, it's like nothing happens in that it takes forever like, I mean we were past like uh, the Mickey Mouse uh, newspaper strips which are very good mm-hmm. Uh, and like, so you can get good stuff, but eh, not really. I guess Calvin and Hobbes is probably the top in terms of like newspaper strip happening stuff. Zitz was one that I read. What's the difference between Zitz and Foxtrot? 
I never read Sits. Oh. I liked Foxtrot a lot. And there'd be like sequential storytelling in Foxtrot. And Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Like there was that era, I think, in the 90s where a lot of the new people, like Bill Lamond, who did Foxtrot, and Bill Waterson, who did Calvin and Hobbes. They were, were like building off. Yeah. They're really trying to like, you know, create characterization in universes. Wait, I, I, uh, Kathy? What's the name of the woman who's like, Arr! No, her quote is Ack. Ack. Yeah. That's yeah. Kathy? I've never seen her on anywhere but a mug. Okay. Like, like 80s merch. <laughs> I remember. I never and read Kathy. How can we forget Dilbert? Oh, he's been gone. <laughs> What's that creator up to? <laughs> Let's look on the internet now. Oh, no. <laughs> that was me doing an impression of you. I love. <laughs> Wait, I never look it up. You always look it up. I always have the information at the tip of you my do, fingertips. You really do. <laughs> um, so uh, moving beyond that, we got into webcomics. Yeah. We talked about webcomics before. We don't we have to talk about it too yeah. much. And it's not something that I follow that often. Unless someone tells me this is good, you should read it, mm-hmm. which was the case with Blind Alley. I don't remember who exactly it was. I think it was Alec Robbins, the creator of Mr. Boop, okay. posting about it, being like, this is one of the best. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just because Alec Robbins is, you know, so funny that, of course, we recommend this. Actually, I just remembered a webcomic, and I've talked about it before. Branson Reese's webcomics are so funny. Oh, who was that again? The name rings We about. talked about it because he did that uh, What If Simpsons Porn Was Illegal uh, strip, where it's like the guy wearing the One Fear shirt, and then... Um, Someone else wearing a shirt says, what if Simpsons porn was illegal? Oh, that one. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. No, yeah. no fear. And then yeah, one, and fear. one fear. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. He has a collection. And then he would go on to do Swan Boy was uh, the script that he's working on right now, which mm. is very funny. It's another weird serialized. I think I sent it to you about the woman thinking about how uh, Bugs Bunny is crucified at the end yes. of Space Jam 2. Yes. And then it's like her kind of talking like, I can't believe it happened. It's haunting me. And then the final panel, Swan Boy, like, can we see that Bugs Bunny on a cross again <laughs> panel? It's like, that's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. But Blind Alley is not like any of those things. No, at its core, it kind of harkens back to like a Peanuts style thing. Like here's a gang of kids in a small town. They're all very distinct and different sort of personalities and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And just like the Peanuts characters, you you never see their parents, but... You get a sense of what each household might be like based on what the kids. You do see their parents here or there. Here and there, a little bit in this, and it's important to the plot. And the author actually says, like, no, their parents are alive. Okay. And because you may assume, like, are they on their own? Mm -hmm. Like... And I never assumed they were because they, many characters refer to things happening. Yeah, with their parents. And yeah. you just don't see them that often. Now, what's funny about this comic is you could read any single one and be like, hey, that's funny. Like, yeah. it's a cute punchline. Like, mm-hmm. take, for example, the first one, which is uh, a little girl waking up and her parents show up, a rare appearance of the parents, and they go, what's wrong, sweet pea? The girl goes, thank God you're still here. I hope this doesn't come true like my other dreams. Your heads look much better attached to your necks. And it's like, <laughs> oh, wow. That's a little dark. It's very funny. It sets the tone really well at the very start, yes. though, for what, what this might be like. Where what the... you don't know yeah. is that this character is sweet pea, and if you keep reading, she does have pro- prophetic dreams. Mm-hmm. But this probably doesn't come up for another 30 strips. Yeah. And so, like, when you were reading this, were you like, wait a minute, is this serialized? Or I think I prepped you a little bit before, right? Where I was like, you may find there's some serialization in this. I think you said something to that effect. I think I forgot about that, though. And I I approached it only knowing that you recommended it and that you said it was kind of akin to Peanuts. Mm -hmm. And and having loved and read the entirety of Peanuts mm. like that sort of appealed to me because Peanuts as well had bits of, like character growth and things that would creep into it in very subtle ways and I think also similar similarly to Peanuts there's a lot of Peanuts strips that are just absolutely just brilliant one-off gags on their own but there would also be often some like you know sequential story that lasted a couple weeks here or there mm-hmm. or things that would be returned to now and then yeah like uh the author actually uh adam d'souza mentioned that like he read all of peanuts or is through the process of doing it mm-hmm. and like peanuts is a comic that doesn't have a memory in the sense that like charles schultz will do the same gag like months later mm-hmm. either different maybe exactly the same because it's just the nature of writing these characters and he approach this comic is like what if these comics did have a memory that if like something happened could then be referenced later on 
but you don't need to know that reference to get it. Yeah, that's why it, it fits so well within like either one of those frameworks. So someone's just reading a one-off or if someone's picking up these collected editions or something. So the comic is basically like a bunch of kids that just live in, I guess, Blind Alley is what they call it, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, a suburban sprawl where it seems like they're the only people in town. We have a wild cast of characters. We have Sweet Pea, uh, Pod, who's her best friend. Uh, Wander, who is not attached to the main characters. Yeah, he's uh, got a little like hobo bindle, mm-hmm. and he's trying to f- actually just wandering at first. He's not trying to find Blind Alley until he hears it exists. Yeah, but he's wandering in some sort of seemingly like almost like magical, disparate area, disconnected from the rest of the mm-hmm. uh, the town. And we also have Oliver, who I think is closest analog is Linus. Mm-hmm. He's like the Linus of the group, very yeah. sensitive and, uh, you know, kind of being bullied as well by the other kids sometimes. Yeah. We have Ten, who's kind of like I took, the bully a little bit. I took him as a little bit of a Calvin and a little bit of a Peppermint Patty. Mm, yes, exactly. Like who, she's kind of a bully as well. We uh, have April, who, what's her main character trait? She has glasses. She has a bun in her hair. She loves nature. Yeah. But they all kind of love nature, they too. Kind of they have, we have Pip. Who is basically the uh, where the wild things are character? You know, wearing, wearing like a little a, suit, m- you know, animal suit of some kind. Uh, he's had he or he or she. I'm, I'm not sure if they ever uh, specify a gender, which is important for yep. some of this stuff because yep. it actually plays into the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also have Kay, who is kind of another Calvin style character, very you know forward, She's, often bashing yeah. heads with ten. She, she seems kind of Lucy-ish in yes. her approach. Like at some point, she just sort of. Aggressively snatches a Shonen Jump comic away from someone, but then she tries to make her own yeah, comic. manga. And there's like several little bits that track her creating that and stressing about making it. We have Elroy, who's a baby, mm-hmm. who is also super smart. And look, I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, wait, is this what the comic is about? It's not about this. May have psychic powers too. He might. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we have Red, who is, uh, again, someone in a snowsuit the entire time. Kind of Kenny esque in that. Yeah, visual depiction because it's no- only a nose and eyes. Yeah, but uh, nothing like Kenny. He's kind of the um, like computer nerd and he? like tr- it's not it's technically oh. not a he because okay. there's a strip where they want to play shirts versus skins, and he's like, oh well, the women don't want to take the the girls don't want to take the shirts off because they have boobs, or do you, and maybe they say, oh well, I have boobs too. Oh, I took that as him just being being a like little a, bit chun- yeah. chunky and body sensitive. I don't know. Uh, I, I tried to pay attention if they ever okay. said he or she, That's and I don't point. think they ever say it. So oh, okay, but yeah, he uh, is. Or they, they are yeah. a huge computer nerd and mm. are the one who's trying to, with computers, and I like how that's this generic answer, computers, mm. trying to figure out what starts to happen in this town once uh, plot starts to There's roll. Crane, a mm. kid wearing a skull mask. Yep. Looks cool. Looks like that, um, like, you know, Call of Duty-esque, like, sort of military, like, yes. skull mask on a bal- balaclava kind of thing. And then we have Penny, a dog, yep. who feels very bad for themselves. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, an early strip where Penny the dog runs through, or I think the dog injures people with a stick. Yeah. And Penny feels so bad that, I don't know, is it they, she, he, uh, wanders off into the wilderness all alone? Yeah, they just think, uh, oh, no, the uh, I turned into a monster. Yes. What I, have I done? And then there's Lula, a vampire. Yep. A little vampire girl. And question mark? Uh, someone who lives in the sewers. No, that's question mark is the uh, thing in, um, in in my book, question mark on the sewers. Oh, they changed that because the sewer creature is called Acme and Mm. it's kind of this shadowy figure with chicken legs. And so I'm looking at the website version here and then there's a question mark thing. It's a little like almost like a gooey venom symbiote in a bindle being carried by Wander. That's the thing is that like early on you read a comic where you see Wander is just in a field Mm -hmm. and they're going, is there anything better than a cool breeze on a warm day? Sound of cicadas under the rustle of leaves? <sighs> and then he touches his bindle and go, oh, sorry, I forgot. You can't relate to these sort of things. Yeah, That's th- a non sequitur when you read it for the first that time. That was great. And I thought he's just saying his inanimate object yes. you know, can't uh, Incorrect. The bindle is alive mm-hmm. and kind of guiding Wander, which I don't think you find out for quite a while. And uh, so there's running gags through this comic of like, there is a can on a string that people keep listening to. And you don't hear what is being said uh, on the can on a string, but it seems... For some people, frightening. For other people, they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, and it becomes an outlet for Crane. Like, he doesn't know who's on the other end, and he just wants to be able to sort of talk and and listen. Mm. Uh, Crane is the one who 
um, lived with Penny the dog. And when Penny ran, runs away at the very start of the story, uh, Crane is just devastated yeah. and wondering where his dog is, which we all would in mm-hmm. that same situation. But like you, if you just flip through and like one strip will just be Luna the vampire going, Gwah, bleh, rawr. <laughs> and she's just saying it to a bunch of people who are not reacting to her doing this. And then the last panel is her upside down going, it's hard work, but someone had to do it. Like that is a classic <laughs> like new strip. It's great. Kind of like cute little peanuts. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, how do you feel about how many panels is peanuts peanuts was four it's four okay. and I, I remember that specifically because uh shortly after garfield without garfield took off which is as a we three mentioned panel strip. Episode, uh garfield's a three panel strip and someone did a thing where they removed garfield to make john look just yeah, really insane. unhinged yeah. and yeah. reacting to nothing and then someone else did a thing called three nuts where they merely just chopped the fourth panel out of peanuts to show that the structure of peanuts was usually some like really depressing conversation about something miserable for the first three panels and the fourth one was the punchline that unwound that and that was a structure that Charles Schultz really did and if you chop at that fourth panel it is just pure just existential dread and misery so I don't know if we can go through the entire plot of the comic because it moves fairly slowly as mm-hmm. things are kind of revealed as they're going on are there any like favorite strips that stuck out to you as you were reading yeah, I mean, I love the whole thing, uh, but uh, I really resonated with uh, Ten, who just comes off as like just the jerk of the group. Yeah, like, and and even just the look of Ten with like you know they're missing a tooth. Um, they seem like they're the more rough and tumble of them. Like mm. clearly, maybe they come from the slightly more broken home or who knows like we all knew kids like that where it's like yeah "Yeah, you're kind of a jerk what's going on at home yeah were you a latchkey kid did you run around on your own like in the evenings or the the weekends uh here and there yeah my my parents had really scattered schedules with their teaching schedules Mm. so but i mean you know we lived in like this neighborhood where you're renting now it's pretty pretty chill and so we just had like random curfews like hey okay as long as you stay within street x and y and like so did you have like school friends that you would go hang out or sorry uh more neighborhood friends that you would hang out with versus your school friends actually it was those were all interchangeable Mm -hmm. because the school was right in the middle of this oh so it was all the same people so everyone lived within like a couple blocks radius because when i was a kid the the friends that i had so i lived in a court which was just like a circle Mm -hmm. so it was basically almost like a blind alley and so i had friends that lived there and then i had friends at school so they were different kind of friends that you would meet and there was like a park if you went down the way that we would hang out with so it felt like almost kind of like a maze of suburbia because huh. it's not just like straight streets and it very easy to jump on your bike and just get like lost in all of these weird nooks and crannies and, or you know like a blind alley strip would be like oh my god look there's a a manhole cover has been left open yeah oh, so it's like let's I go play that. around that dangle our legs over it i kind of actually regret not having like, like I kind of romanticize that type of experience or yeah. like the kids in George, the movie George Washington by David Gordon Green like mm-hmm. that sort of like wandering around like hey we're walking along these old abandoned train tracks and we find an interesting thing and let's poke this dead clown with a stick or something that doesn't happen in that movie but I just yeah. mean that sort of thing that you see in those kind of stories or this I never really had it was just very like you know like uptown and, and tame around here yeah you live pretty close to kind of like Toronto Central too so it's not like pushed away it's yeah. like make your own but you can find fun around as well yeah and like you said it's not like wild either so uh the 10 character has such a fascinating journey through the comic because basically they start as kind of like a rambunctious jerk yeah where they're like creating trouble and then it goes two ways where it's like okay but now the trouble's not fun anymore like they're mean yeah people and, call them out on it yeah say like why are you such a jerk all the time and and, and, uh, and there's a like a bit of a continuity where they find a, a slingshot mm-hmm. and they start using it and they kill a bird now what's i i love about this comic yeah. and i went back so basically they kill a bird that was one of my favorite strips because that's the shocking like uh-oh what is going on here kind of moment the way that yeah. uh sorry spoiler alert for blind alley adam d'souza draws this mm-hmm. it looks like the bird is being hit by a pellet and the guts are going everywhere that's what it seems like at first and, yeah and at first a couple strips later it's revealed that was a robot bird mm-hmm. and you didn't kill a bird now I wonder if that changes his perspective on things because he's like, oh, thank God I didn't kill a bird. Like, it makes a big difference. Like, this is a comic that can be very funny and almost like non sequitur or cute punchlines. Mm-hmm. It can also be a punchline of like 10 just looking at the dead bird and then just close up, profile shot, and then the last panel is them going pretty freaking nasty. Yeah. And like in a sad way, not like a... Uh, 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 like ah what a funny punchline or just Penny the dog wandering through <laughs> field and stream yeah. the last panel is the dog going I miss my house <laughs> <laughs> the bird thing was my favorite hook in this uh, yeah. so far in terms of like an ongoing story beat because 
yeah, the, the crux of this is that they start to notice that there's all these random birds and trees all over the town, and they're all the same model of robotic bird. Mm-hmm. And uh, Red, the kid who is really good with computers, uh, then somehow like patches one of these birds into his computer and sees that they're all recording everything that's happening around town, and there's footage of the kids on there. I don't. This is still... On, an ongoing story. No, by it's the not way. solved. Yeah, it's not solved. Yeah. I mean, if I, I had to fan theory, it just sounds like maybe like special kids are put in like one place so they can be watched all the time. That's all I got. It could, I really hope it's not something as I just tropey want, as this is a simulation. Here's yeah, a, a different I, archetypes. I, I don't want to. Yeah. yeah, like it'd be nice if maybe Adam D'Souza just doesn't reveal anything. <laughs> like, I I prefer that. Like yeah. I. I was talking to Mark about this uh, movie for the plasma that mm-hmm. one of the OCN partner labels put out on on Blu-ray through Vinegar Syndrome, and it's it has something similar to that where there's no real explanation. Yeah, but and I love that about it. Yeah. And a lot of people have given this movie negative reviews because they're like, "What? They never explained the thing with the cameras and the be trees." Satisfying. Yeah, whatever explanation they could come up with is not as creepy as like me not knowing mm. and and wondering like what who did this and why how long have these been here but i would say that overarching narrative is probably the least interesting thing for me yeah because i find the comic like so hum- human and like relatable and funny like um one of the characters that we mentioned uh k decides to do her own manga and there's a one strip where it's like okay this is it i've got everything she starts to draw it and then, like, she's still drawing it. And the last panel is her going, this is going to take forever. <laughs> <laughs> I love the strip of her trying to sell. Actually, it's very similar to Lucy's, like, psychiatric booth. She sets yes. up a comics. little booth to sell her comics. And the panel where she's just full of, like, self-loathing and self-doubt about how, what a dumb idea this was and how it just won't work out. And then someone walks by and gives her a compliment about it. And it just makes her day. Like, that's just everyone who has ever created anything has felt yeah. the same way. It's so and heartwarming. I mean, they do the classic uh, comic convention experience where someone w- walks by, <laughs> like flips through them, and they're like, "All right, uh, I'll, I'll come back later and pick them up." Yep, and it's yep. like, eh, "They're not coming back." <laughs> <laughs> or uh, the guy who's like, uh, "Oh, it, it sounded really interesting. I don't have any money though." Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I gotta keep going. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really like the character of Oliver, even though that I don't think it'll go this way. There seems to be like an undercurrent of darkness going on in Oliver's life Mm -hmm. where he's the most innocent and the most emotionally open. It seems his parents are dead, that he lives by himself as well. There might be, and there seems to be this um, like undercurrent of like, why aren't other parents around? Because then outside, after that first panel where you say, I think it's Sweet Pea's parents, the only parents that frequently get referred to are Ten's parents because something is happening with his mother. Like yeah, his she, mother's dying of his cancer. His mother's dying. Is it? Did they actually say cancer? Yep, they do. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, or I, I'm pretty sure they do because yeah. like there's, you know, he's taking care of his mother and they. The comic seems to indicate as well as like this is one of the reasons he's lashing out as well. Yeah, is yeah. That, like his home life is so kind of, you know, topsy turvy that it's very difficult for him to express himself in a normal way. Even though he does want to, he does, and you do see bits of character growth. Like you see uh, a sort of self reflective uh, strip where he's saying like, you know, what what can I do to change? Maybe I should start with not being such a jerk or something mm-hmm. like that. But he can't help himself. He's he a jerk himself. when they come around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Pip, uh, the. Uh, where the wild things are, kid. Uh, having adventures with a monster that lives in the sewer. Yeah, they first uh, starts leaving chocolate bars outside of the sewer grate, and a weird little black like creature will just like reach his hand out and grab it, mm-hmm. and then eventually he goes down and encounters it, and it's some uh, kind of creepy, like almost like adult size. Like it's it's not ki- it's bigger than kid size. Mm-hmm. Uh, black blob, kind of like a Barba Papa type character. With Barba Papa? Do you remember Barba, Barba Papa? Yeah. I don't know who that is, no. It was a, I thought it was a French Canadian cartoon. Or Maybe it is, but I, if I saw it, I'd probably like be lot. like, oh, I, I recognize what it is, but it doesn't come to mind right now. Maybe it's so frightening, I've completely eliminated it from my mind. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, do you remember they were all like different shapes? And Yeah, I don't think I ever watched that. Wait, was that part of... No, you know the books that it was like A for this... Remember uh, those? No, they weren't as juvenile as that. These okay. were more like I think the like, I know Euro. Of it. I don't think like, I ever watched graphic it. novels, and there was a cartoon that uh, would air in French on TVO. Mm-hmm. And so I love uh, Luna, the vampire. She's mm-hmm. very funny, uh, especially in the second year. She finds a cat that she loves very much, which she names Uncle Michael. Yep. And they have adventures where the cat acts like a cat, and she's like, you're the best cat. You're the best friend in the world. Mm-hmm. All cats are. Uh, so I read the first volume. I was very shocked when seemingly the dog dies, <laughs> where the dog jumps off a cliff. Oh, that, so I have not seen the physical editions. Yeah. So I was reading the entire thing online up to the most recent strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
Yeah, that would be quite the cliffhanger. Yep. The, the dog uh, chases a stick off of a uh, a chasm, jumps, and falls down the chasm. But thankfully, if you then crack open volume two, mm-hmm. uh, the dog is just falling and... <laughs> It's like, oh god, I shouldn't have gone after. It's falling for several panels. Like they cut back to things happening in the town, and they'll cut back to the dog still falling. (laughs) Yep, Uh, this is not technically happening concurrently. Not really, but I think the pacing does seem like a a gag in itself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fun comics about just the kids like being entertained Mm -hmm. by something creative that the other kids do. Like, I, I find that, like, very endearing that, like, it's not, like, the joke is just that, like, someone's playing a song, and then the last panel, someone is clapping happily that they listen to the song, and the other person's, like, oh, embarrassed. Yeah, it's really endearing. Like, it, there'll be these ongoing, like, story beats about maybe the birds or something creepy happening in town, and then it'll just hit you right in the heart with some just wonderful slice of just, you know, real life stuff. Yeah, like, like Luna will uh, be waiting by... Uh, a farm and then with a plate of milk the mm-hmm. cat comes out drinks the milk and then Luna screams I love you as the cat goes <laughs> away uh, they discover a skateboard and try to figure out what's going on with that how are you supposed to use it oh yeah that's Crane finds that and it's a good distraction from him being worried about Penny Crane has some great bits of dialogue that I think also relate to like how we interact with each other there's a couple of strips where he'll tell someone like I'm not in the mood for conversation yeah Crane doesn't really want to play like these that. adventures or like these wacky things yeah like and that's fine like mm-hmm. he says he has introvert energy and that's okay now I will say that unfortunately Mike didn't have the books uh, because they include the Sunday full color, which unfortunately these books are not in full color. Mm. I would, I have a feeling that these are like classic, you know, I, like these are gaining popularity yeah. that like there will be more kind of like treasury editions well, one also, day. Yeah, I looked into ordering these right away after catching up on the web and they're out of print. Oh, the these? So, yeah. Well, go to the Beguiling. They have them. Oh, good. Yeah. I will buy them ASAP. If you just walk in, yeah. they're not, they're in the like center kind of tower where okay. they have books and there's a stack of them there. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, so I feel like this is kind of like, you know, starting with this kind of stuff, but because I would love these. These are these books are interesting because they're not formatted in the way you read them online. That they're sequentially the four panels, like left to right. Mm-hmm. Here they're uh, one, two, and then you go to the bottom, three, four, which gives it like a different vibe. Well, the website as well, if you change the size of it, oh, it uh, will go it to does, that four panel. Yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be four in a row if your browser window is wide, and it'll switch to two by two if you shrink it. Oh, man. Look at this great panel where um, April is walking with a little teddy bear, and she trips. And the teddy bear uh, hits the ground and she's just, I should never be a parent. <laughs> like, it's such a sad but sweet. And like, we may make it sound dark. It's not, it's not really that dark. Yeah. Like, it's mostly like stuff that kids go through and that, you know, that they have these feelings, but you don't usually see media express in any way mm-hmm. because to do that would be, you know, frightening that, oh no, what, like, it's too much for a kid to handle, even though that, that is all that kids go through every day that they live their lives. Did you ever play, because uh, it reminded me of this when I was reading it, did you ever play a video game called Night in the Woods? It was e- like eight to 10 years ago. I it, did not play, but I know of it. It feels yeah. like a, a teen version of something like this. Mm. Like it's a, like really like rural, but very autumnal and pretty kind of yeah, small that, town. And it's like a bunch of sort of day-to-day little it, Blind uh, Alley absolutely like feels optimal the entire time mm-hmm. the, that like that vibe of like winter is around the corner summer is over yeah let's have as much fun outside as we can yeah. and like we've basically i feel like covered most of the big plot points there's more kind of like grandiose stuff where wander is having his own adventures he meets other kids which makes you feel almost like a post-apocalyptic thing going on wandering the woods and one of them has a sack on his head with eye holes which reminded me of this long really weird arc in peanuts where charlie brown was getting a rash on the back of his head that looked like a baseball wait what yeah there's this and this again like i was saying some of the later peanuts stuff when schultz was still alive got very very weird and yeah charlie brown got this baseball patterned rash and then uh, wore a sack on his head with eye holes. And there's this long story arc of him like going away and going to another town or something like that. And they don't know him. And he makes make some new friends who call him Sack. <laughs> what? And, That's so weird. Oh, it, yeah, it's wonderful. Peanuts is an amazing read sequentially to go through it all. And uh, I I do find like the character of Acme was really fun. Mm-hmm. Who's like a big, just a black blob, like you said, Baba Papa, but with like chicken legs yeah yeah and i don't know if you got far enough in the web version because actually the oh, book to see acme's house yeah yes i did we see acme's but also acme has a bit of a temper as well yeah i saw that bit where acme kind of freaks out a little bit and gets a little more squiggly yeah so uh pip eventually goes down to the sewer seemingly befriends acme and acme 
uh, leads Pip to to their house in the sewer, and there's like a Pikachu and Mickey Mouse doll hanging. Yes, like in nooses. And, and we just learn later on everywhere. that it's one of the favorite toys of other characters, and that Pip is like, oh, do I have to go see Acme and ask them? Oh wow, can we have that Pikachu back? So please? I'm not that far because okay. Justin says the print editions uh, collect far beyond the website, and the website, the last one posted, is November third. So yes. it's up to fairly recently. So I think that just um, Adam D'Souza has just been like working ahead, so mm. we can, they can publish them as they go it'd be nice if our podcast could do the same yeah well it's not <laughs> happening uh we do two episodes at once that's, that's all more good. than enough yeah, when yeah. i listen to podcasts i like to listen to them react to new events which we never do yeah, yeah. i mean we just talked about the batman movie a film that came out like a year and a half ago <laughs> <laughs> uh and so like adam d'souza i feel though that they're maybe stepping back a little bit from blind alley yeah i scrapped to the patreon it's only like $3.20 Canadian. You okay. get them early and you get the Sunday strips. And they're also starting a new strip, which is going to be about a different subject that's mm. going to be a Patreon-only one. Mm. And they also have in March a graphic novel coming out. So it's if you want to get on the ground floor of the Adam D'Souza renaissance, it's time to do it now. Yeah, we'll link to all this in the show notes. And like I said at the top of this episode, if you go to blind-alley.com, that is the main site for the webcomic. So if you just want kind of like a Peanut-style strip, mm -hmm. but also with a little bit of serialized storytelling and stuff that even Peanuts didn't really tackle that much from a level of just like the emotional stuff that kids go through. I, I, I say that and it makes it sound like it's work. It's not. It's like very cute and very fun. Mm -hmm. Like I posted a few strips on Twitter and people were like, oh, I've never heard of this. I'm definitely going to check it out just because they're so kind of, you know, you just read one and you're like, oh, that's really funny. I want to see more of this world. So any other thoughts on Blind Alley before we go, Mike? Uh, this was one of the most endearing and delightful things I've ever gone into blind Whoa! in years. Thank you so much, Justin, for recommending it. And thank you, Adam D'Souza, for creating it. Um, I, I love Peanuts so much. And this, you know, hit all the same notes, but in like a modern context that worked so, so well for me and in general. When was the last time you read Peanuts? You said you like read it all. Like, what, was it in your teens? Or I'm frequently rereading Peanuts. Really? So, yeah, we had. Um, and again, like I said, we weren't like a big newspaper family, mm -hmm. so we get like the Saturday Star or whatever. But um, uh, there's been multiple attempts, even before those Seth books, to like collect Peanuts sequentially. And there were some that were about the size of like an eight and a half, eleven by piece, like piece of paper and kind of thick that uh, were in the library system incessantly everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just at Lock Library over here, I used to take those out all the time. And um, yeah, just constantly go through them. And early Peanuts were just kind of a lot of one-off strips. But uh, it was, I think once you get into like the 70s, 80s stuff, actually maybe predominantly the 80s stuff, that there'd be these weirder and longer form stories like the mm. charlie brown with the sack on his that's head only like a hundred volumes away yeah. in the uh i guess the collections that are being put out right now actually i wonder are those still ongoing the seth ones i don't know uh, we'll have to look that up sometime i guess i, I don't mm, you know what i don't want to say anything i don't yeah. know i don't see them new that often i hope it's not one of those cases where like a company will start putting out sequential collections of a thing and then each one there's diminishing returns sales wise and probably they yeah cut it off early well it's like i have that giant giant Doug Wright uh, comic collection. The mm. Canadian artists at the Doug Wright Awards are based on. And they're like, volume two is coming. It's like, no, only volume one. That's all you guys got. That's wow. it. <laughs> Even though that literally a famous cartoonist that his name is on an award, but <laughs> I don't think people know him that well because that was very early cartooning. Also very kind of like, you know, uh, almost wordless strips about kids as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, Mike asked me, he's like, do you know any other webcomic strips like this? I was like, uh, not really. Yeah, because uh, I, I think and we've talked about this in other episodes. Like, the idea of webcomic sounds very like 97 to 2003. And we mentioned even at the start of this episode, mm. there's like a specific style of humor and and sometimes even art and paneling that like a lot of people associate with webcomics, which is usually a very dated humor. So something like this, which I almost feel like I'm insulting it by calling it a webcomic. Yeah. It's a it's a comic that happens to exist on the web, but this transcends the medium mm. uh, and being something that you know could live forever in collected editions like these ones here. Big treasuries, I can guarantee yeah. you that's going to happen one day. I, hope I mean, they do. looking at his Twitter, I was like, oh, is this like a little comic? No one, nah, thirty thousand followers. So I think they're like they, on Instagram as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like the audience is building and building and building and building. I can't wait to read their graphic novel as well. I didn't even mention like. This has been compared to Lord of the Flies. It's not really not like at all. That. I yeah. would say so. Other than like kids out there, <laughs> like would you call Peanuts Lord of the Flies? Because <laughs> <Not laughs> there's all. no adults in it either. So yeah. 
Anyway, hope people will check this out. It's free online. Mm-hmm. As uh, you can find the link right below. Next week, oh boy, we're doing a subject that I don't think me or Mike are that familiar with. Crazy Cat. Also known as Crazy and Ignatz. Mm-hmm. That's how it's currently being published. So okay. I've never known anything about Crazy Cat uh, except for the picture of him being hit with a brick, mm-hmm. which has been reprinted on uh, wet, you know, shirts, mugs, everything. But yeah. like Crazy Cat was huge. It lasted forever. Mm-hmm. And when you read it, you're going to be like, huh? It, yeah. Uh, like I, I picked up. Mike asked me, like, what crazy cat do I, should I read? I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that much. Read the beginning. They're all in place. Uh, the author of the co- book, George Harriman, I think I'm saying that correctly, he uh, had been doing comics for a while at that point. So, like, his style is already mm-hmm. there. But, like, it, it'll be interesting to read it and, like, filter it through what you know as comics. They weren't technically strips because they were full page comics yeah, all of them that I, I didn't expect either I, I didn't expect them to be like a little nemo-esque like large format like page filling thing mm. these are all in the public domain by the way they're yes. online uh, i didn't expect it to be as old as it was too 1916 yep. if i recall uh, it kind of got really popular because uh charles foster no i mean charles foster kane yes the 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 character in citizen k no the guy that he's based on hearst hearst william was a randall huge hearst. fan okay of the author and i just noticed yesterday that the author of the biography of crazy cat follows me on twitter <laughs> oh wow of the author uh george harryman so like oh boy i hope he doesn't listen to this podcast and we embarrass ourselves in some way <laughs> well i don't know how we could i mean you're a fan right or... uh, of crazy cat yeah no Not really oh, <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> i was uh forced to read it when i was taking a comics course which i didn't like very much mm. at york university didn't really get it didn't feel they gave me enough context to get it but I just think it's something that I want to get. It's almost as if universities are more preoccupied with getting your money. Yes. Wait, do I have to buy this textbook giving me to the historical context of what's going on? Can't you just fold it into the lesson that we're doing? <laughs> Can't you just put it in a podcast, York University? So Crazy Cat, now this will bring in the hits because people love Crazy Cat. <laughs> That's what we'll be doing next week. Uh, read the beginning. I just picked up the first Fantagraphics restarted public so fantagraphic it's really weird is that they started publishing late into the run Mm. because eclipse did the first from the beginning and now eclipse those are long long out of print so fantagraphics went back and restarted publishing it under crazy and ignatz as a title so if you search crazy cat you may not be able to find it uh do you know there were so many early animated crazy cat cartoons so many i'm not surprised to the point that like he, he the the characters just morphed into unrecognizable creatures at a certain point. We'll talk about it. I'll send you some links. That's some like how characters. Flip the Frog started as a frog and eventually became some like what what are you? You're a what's it? <laughs> yeah. like you're like a thing. You're just like a well, I don't know what you are. <laughs> So, as per usual, you can send us letters at uh, the Very Fine Combo Podcast at gmail.com. I should read one, considering that we skipped last week. Yeah. So, this letter, the subject line is An Italian Take on the Comic Book Canon from Enrico. And he goes, Hey, Justin and Mike, started listening to your podcast only a couple of weeks ago, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Thank you. It's reignited my passion and curiosity for comics, which has been mostly dormant for about 10 to 15 years. Mr. Boop has been a particular favorite so far. Oh, that's great. Being Italian, I'm also delighted you've already dedicated an episode to a classic fumetto, though I'm more of a Corto Maltese fan than a Dylan Dog one. One of my earliest introductions to the history of mostly Western comics was a series of 60 books that came out every week between 2003 and 2004, with a major Italian newspaper, La Repubblica. Each book was dedicated to a classic comic book character or author, reprinting a selection of key stories meant to provide a broad perspective on what made them unique or how they developed over time. That's fun. I wish newspapers would do that. Mm -hmm. The only flaw was that it was quite a small format, which wasn't always a good match for the material it reprinted. Anyway, I thought you might find it interesting to see what was included in the series. I wonder if anything stands out to you as an odd choice or if there are things you're surprised weren't included. Worth noting that the series was originally supposed to be limited to 30 books, which probably explains some odd choices in the 40s and 50s. Oh, and I've highlighted the 30s non-Italian titles for ease of reading. 
So uh, I love when like newspapers or magazines have supplements like that. That's not really something that happens in North America very often. It was a big thing in Japan was like manga books, mm-hmm. but like a big manga book, it would come with like a little bonus book wrapped up in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so those. this list, stop me if you're interested in something that like, you're like, what's that? So Corto Maltese, number one, number mm-hmm. two, Tex. I think we talked about it a little bit. I've read some translated Corto Maltese. Amazing stuff. Uh, text is like a cowboy comic. Oh, okay. And then wow. we have Spider-Man, Paparino, in parentheses, Donald Duck. Are there Italian Donald Duck? That must du- be the different name because yeah. yeah, the names vary wildly from mm. region to region. Dylan yeah. Dog, Diabolique at number seven. Oh, Diabolique. Yeah. Amazing character and movie. Uh, I'm going to skip over the American ones because who cares? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Topolino, that's Mickey, Mickey Mouse. Mouse. I know that from, uh, I don't know where. Uh, Alton, yeah. an Italian artist best known for satirical cartoons. Mm, that's over our heads. Uh, Ken Parker, an Italian Western. I think I've seen some Ken Parkers, but I don't think there's that many English translations. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is uh, awesome looking character yeah. and art. Wow, look at this. Uh, Valentina, a vaguely Emmanuel-like Italian character. Uh, there's one here I want to mention that's an American one. Mandrake and the Phantom. That has to be a newspaper street. Yeah, right? those were, uh, yeah, classic, uh, I guess, King Feature Syndicates or mm-hmm. one of those. Uh, Martin Mistai, a supernatural detective, also Italian. Never heard of him. Sounds cool. Ratman, an Italian superhero and pop culture spoof comic, which I used to love, but I've also since realized is quite transphobic. Uh, Asterix, that's French, but he bolded that. Uh, Max Friedman, another Italian character, a spy in 1930s Europe. Milo Manera, an Italian author mostly known for his erotic stories. Oh, Man, yeah. were there a lot of erotic comics included in this newspaper collection? M- Milo Manera, a, a legendary um, artist who has also done stuff for like Marvel and DC. Like, Really? He, I'm just looking this up. I mean, here he is here, even like in the last... Oh, still doing stuff. 10 years, yeah. Uh, continuing on, we have... Stormtroopen, an Italian war comic about comical adventures of bumbling Nazis. Yikes. <laughs> I hope that uh, one of that holds up. I prefer my Nazis bumbling uh, yep. than competent or evil. Uh, is there a non-evil Nazis out there? Oh, yeah. yeah I think it kind of goes along with yeah, it. I mean, bumbling and evil is better than uh, confidence and evil, let's say. Uh, Nathan Never, another Italian detective. This one was a sci-fi twist. Zagor, an Italian Tarzan-like character. Uh... El Eternata, this is a dystopian sci-fi adventure series from Argentina. Mm. Hmm. Julia, another Italian detective character. There's a lot of detectives here. Papernik, Donald Duck as a mass superhero, used to absolutely love this. Interesting. Mafalda, an Argentinian comic about a very smart 60-year-old girl. I think I've seen Mafalda because uh, she shows up in Suicide Squad. Oh, I've there, seen this character. There is a, a keychain yeah. that a character has. Oh, wow, Mafilda, really? Mafalda, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Evan Kant, hmm, don't know who that is. Mr. No, an Italian exotic adventure comic. Giacoviti, another satirical Italian author. Jeff Hawk, another Italian Western. Okay, so as they were mentioning, it kind of gets in the weeds past 40 because... I should just say I'm speed Googling every single one of these one. characters and all the ones I have not heard of. Like, Mr. look at these Mr. No covers in art. Look great. Incredible. I love the Italian comic book style. Yeah. Uh... Uh, Snoopy at number 40. Oh, poor Snoopy. Wait, is Peanuts called Snoopy in it, in uh, other countries? In a lot of regions it is, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, famously, Charles Schultz hated the title Peanuts, and it was forced upon him. What? I, I you didn't know, know that? that? Oh, yeah. I knew you that he know, like, hated when people thought Charlie Brown's name was Peanuts. peanuts but yeah. th- obviously that's a byproduct of the title being forced on him. I don't know the history of that, though. Uh, Magnus, Italian author specializing in noir, Goofy comics. Have you ever read any Goofy comics? No, I only know them from the uh, the cartoons. The only manga ar- artist on this list is Jiro Taniguchi. I'm sure I'm going to look it up and I'll be like, ah, yes, Jiro Taniguchi, uh, the author of. Oh, these don't get uh, translated a lot in uh, North in English, but I've read some of his comics in French. Mm-hmm. They're very, very good. Oh, actually, is this the one that they've recently done a whole bunch of new editions? Yeah, so I'm eating my words because a bunch of his books just came out in big hardcovers. Uh, let's continue here. Dilbert, boo. <laughs> uh, Il Grande B- Black, an Italian Western. Lupo Alberto, Italian talking animal comic book strip. 
Andrea Pagienza, another Italian author. Uh, Lots of Argentinian comics like Dago. Uh, Bobo, an autobiographical Italian comic about a middle-aged boomer. Uh, Sergio Topi, Italian author specializing in adventure comics. Amazing. Would probably recommend. All right. And uh, Guido Buzelli, the last Italian author on this list. Lots of quite weird Horton stuff. Uh, I'm going to send this to Mike so we can add this in uh, the Please show do, notes. because I'm already looking at, like, okay, look at Magnus here. Yeah. Uh, who was mentioned a, a couple of indexes ago. Look at his, his art style. Oh, love it. Like, here's. Looks great. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and uh, the last two are Andy Cap. Andy Cap. Yeah, I forgot that existed. Just the what, I mean, alcoholic the only... wife avoider. And wife beater. Was he? Also? Yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that just the joke of that comic? I'm drunk yes. and I hate my wife. Yep, pretty ah, much. Boomer humor. Great. And Dick Tracy. <laughs> a comic? I wonder if we could read Dick Tracy. That was a serialized one. That's I have very read weird. a big like collection of like the earliest Dick Tracy yeah, series. You know, Dick Tracy went was... to the moon for a couple years and he married the moon maiden. Oh, wow. No, he I had moon I... children. <laughs> I'm not even joking. You're not, you're not joking? No. Didn't the spirit go to the moon too? Probably. Will Eisner's spirit that's one that's like so overwhelming there's so much material the spirit yeah like i look at like you, you some company published them dark horse idw i don't know who did it mm-hmm. but they're all like oh it's a hundred dollars a volume now and there's like Way 26 like big hardcover volume probably, or something yeah. like that yeah um and when you go to like a used bookstore it's always the bad one it's like ah, i always see this one nobody wants this one i ha- someone was once telling me i think it was like one of the friends who worked at the beginning telling me you can just pick up the spirit goats to the moon as like a standalone weirdness thing, okay. but like, don't bother with the others. They're all so interchangeable. Uh, all right. Well, like, or yeah. alternately, like it's like, so Mike is saying all of here. them or none of them, but the moon one. That's Will Eisner, overrated, bad. <laughs> I'm, skip I'm not spirit. saying that. <laughs> all right. So that's going to be it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you very much for that list and send us emails at the very fine combo podcast. Hey, are you out there internationally and you like us to read some of those comics? Send them to us at our P.O. Box address, which you can find. Well, it's not even a P.O. But well, yeah, it is below in the in show this, notes, in the show notes. Send us stuff, please. Mm-hmm. Will we ever be satiated? No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll be happy if we get some. So until next week, I'm Mike Wood. I'm Justin McClue. Keep reading comics. Huzzah. Huzzah.